Pastor Swim's first sermon, he taught on forgiveness, and I thought that was just the work of the Lord because I'd been preparing a uh, lesson on forgiveness, and he even read from the same passage. If you all remember, it's Matthew 18, starting in verse 21. Let me get there because my Bible fell on the floor and I lost my place. All right. I'm going to read the parable. I'm going to move this over a little bit. And then we're going to, going to expound on it a little, all right? Starting verse 21. Then came Peter to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and his children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. Then the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him of the debt. But the same servant went out, and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him, and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet, and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison, until he should pay the debt. Then when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto their Lord what was done. Then his Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou de desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you do not from your hearts, every one, forgive his brother their trespass. All right. So the parable starts with Peter. And Peter's asking Jesus a question. He asks him about how often should he forgive his brother. And there's actually, you know, when you study the Bible, it's good to study the history and the culture about what's going on. In Jesus' time, there are actually a bunch of Jewish scholars that thought they were really smart. And they said, <clears throat> You're only supposed to give people, forgive people three times. After that, you're done. And so when Peter, Peter comes up to Jesus, you know, Peter's been learning from Jesus, been walking with Jesus for, I think, about two years at this point. And he probably thinks, I'm pretty smart, and I'm about to ask a question that's just going to make Jesus praise me. You know, you know, there's points where Jesus, like when Peter pronounced Jesus to be the Christ, and he, tells, he, he changes Peter's name from Cephas to Peter, and he says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. It was a very high moment for Peter, and so Peter's probably thinking, I'm going to get a real high moment here, and he says, I'm going to be smart. I'm not going to only just double the amount of times we're supposed to forgive. I'm going to add one extra, and that's going to make me seem like a really forgiving person. So Peter comes up, and he says, should I forgive my brother seven times? Thinking, that's a big deal. I'm a really generous guy here. And Jesus looks at him and says, I say not unto thee seven times, but seventy times seven. Which I love the way Pastor Swim said. He said if we do the calculation there, it shows how carnal we are. Or something along those lines. But Jesus' point here, you know, some people try to take that number and make something special out of it. Jesus' point is it's, he's just taking Peter's words here of seven. 
and just coming up with some random number that's obviously going to be out of proportion. I mean, how many of you are going to go, well, I've forgiven you 42 times for this kind of offense, and I've forgiven you eight times for this kind of offense, and I've forgiven you uh, 90 times for this kind of I mean, nobody's going to do that. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. It's kind of like if you ask your brother, how many cookies do you want? And they say one trillion. It's just a random number. And he's throwing out that so big, it's obvious he's basically just saying it. You forgive forever. And he tells a parable, he says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, he, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. Now I'm going to give you an idea of what this 10,000 is, because it represents something. Back in Solomon's day, you know when Solomon became king, and he had that massive kingdom, and it was kingdom was so rich and wealthy, it said that silver wasn't even counted as anything. It was like stone back in his day. The amount of gold Solomon received in one year during that kingdom was 666 talents. And if anybody's superstitious, they'll probably try to connect that with the book of Revelation. But let me remind you, 666 is also just a number. But anyway, Solomon received 666 talents of gold in his kingdom per year. This one servant owed his king 10,000 talents. It's a crazy amount of money. If you, there's more research you can do on how much it would be, but basically it's the same as basically saying an infinite un- amount of money. This servant could never repay his master. And he's brought into account because he has an unpayable offense. And the king says, for as much as he had not to pay, the Lord commanded him to er, be sold and his wife and his children until all that had been paid could be paid. This is kind of a custom of the culture. If you couldn't pay and you had a debt, you'd be sold into slavery, your wife, your kids, whatever, and you'd be a slave forever. And this is brought before the man. He can't pay. And he falls down at, at his Lord's feet. And it says he fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I'll pay thee all. This represents a certain, a certain point in the life of a believer when God brings you to account for your sin and he shows you what you've done and your eyes have been opened and you see, I owe this much to my Savior. I'm guilty. And you see the servant is falling down and he's, he's pleading. He says, I'll pay you everything. He can't actually pay everything. And he knows that, but sometimes we get desperate. I remember there were times in my life where I look, I didn't feel saved. Maybe I just need to read my Bible more. Maybe one day when I grow up, I'll write a book about book of the Bible and I'll know I'm a Christian then because I've done something really important. He's just grasping for anything, but he's desperate for salvation. It reminds me of the um, parable of the uh, publican and, and the tax, or publican tax collector, the same thing, I can't remember. You have the Pharisee and you have the tax collector. And the tax collector beats his breast and looks down and says, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. This man is distraught. He has nowhere else to go but to plead for mercy. And it says, the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. You know, that beautiful phrase right there, and it can be overlooked, but it says, the Lord was moved with compassion. He has a servant, he has an unpayable debt, but he sees him fall down and plead for mercy, and he has compassion, forgives him. And um, Psalm 86, 15, it says, but thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion, and gracious, and long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. You know, we, we, we read a lot about God's justice and God's holiness. 
And it's true that God is a judge, and he will punish sin. But as just as he is, he is also equally compassionate, and he delights to show compassion and mercy to those who come to him. But as David said, it says, um, Sacrifice and offering of you not desired, but a broken spirit and a contrite heart. And there's an, whatever book it's in, it says, Man looks, looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So the picture here is this Lord who's brought a servant to account, shown his servant the debt he owes. But when he sees the heart of the servant, he forgives him. Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had all our conversation in the past times in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of, wit, of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. The key to forgiveness is looking at how much God has forgiven us. As people who were dead in our sins and were really, really detestable in reality, the Bible says elsewhere that we were enemies of God. We were opposed to God. God had mercy and saved us. I think there's a uh, lyric by Andrew Peterson. It says, High this mountain, broad this sea, still my sin ran deeper. Great offense my soul did wreak against creation's keeper. But see what power so fell and fair has stayed his holy justice. God himself all held it bare. How great his love for us is. We need to realize our sin. If you've, if you've ever traveled to Colorado or anywhere and you've seen the mountains, I, I love going to Colorado. been there twice. You can just stand and look in the horizon and you see giant mountains. And think of your sin is greater than all that. It's, it's such a great offense. It's an infinite offense against a great and holy God. Or you can think of the ocean. Imagine sailing out in a boat and just looking around for miles. All you see is waves and you don't know how far down it is below you. And your sin is greater than that because you've sinned against someone who's greater than all the mountains or greater than all the waters. Such a great offense. And yet God finds delight in forgiving something that is infinitely against him. Your, your sins, because you've sinned against the infinite God, as I've explained before. Your sin is infinitely great, but that's what God delights to forgive him because it shows the greatness of, of his forgiveness. And so the key to understanding true forgiveness is to understanding how much God has forgiven you. The parable goes on, after he has been forgiven by the Lord, he's, but the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what thou owest. And you know what the, do you know what his servant says? He fell down on his feet and besought him, saying, have patience with me and I'll pay you all. This is for a few pence. And where have you heard that plea before? The same plea this one servant gave to the Lord. But did the servant forgive him? No, it says, and he would not, but went and cast him into prison, though he should pay the debt. This is a picture here of a believer. This man is a believer, and he goes to a fellow servant. This fellow servant may be, may be another member of the church. I think it could be a likely interpretation, or it could be anybody. But the point is, after he has been forgiven so much, 
He finds someone who owes him something. And I think it's most sad when it's within the church because we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. When Paul wrote to the, uh, I think it was in 1 Corinthians, he talks about divisions that were in a church and how church members were even going to court against each other in front of unbelievers. And Paul's plea is, why not be wronged? Would it be better that you let yourself be wronged and forgive than show the world that the church is full of people who are bitter and won't forgive each other? But this sadly shows someone who was like some of the people in the Corinthian church who they didn't care to forgive. They wanted their money or they wanted whatever wrong had been put against them to be dealt with with justice. So he would not. And when his fellow servants, I believe that would be represented as fellow believers, saw this, they were filled with sorrow. I love this verse here because I think it shows the heart of a believer who is truly forgiving and who is truly walking with God. I think it can be easy for some more than others, but if we see another person who's a Christian and they slip up, we can easily feel like, like, we just want to take them and be like, ah, oh, loser, okay, forget about them. I'm moving on. I don't have anything to do with them. That's not the heart we're, as believers we should have. If we see someone who is an heir, we need to have love. And even if they have wronged someone else or wronged us, we don't cast them aside. We show love to them, and we do our best to bring them back. I think it's in Galatians where Paul talks about bearing with the failings of the weak, but also having a discerning mind so that you don't fall into sin as well. As Christians, that needs to be who we are. We don't reject our brothers and sisters who have sinned. We come to them with love and with carefulness and with the Word of God so we can have discernment, and we try to restore them out of a heart of love. And I would guess that's what these servants did here. They probably tried to reason with their servant and say, you know, don't do this. But he didn't. And so eventually, what do they do? They go to their Lord because they can't do anything. And when the Lord hears about it, he calls his servant and says, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desiredest of me. Shouldst not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And the Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due to him. No, he says he delivered him to the tormentors. I don't interpret that as saying he delivered him to hell, because I believe this man is already saved. He's already been forgiven his debt. As believers, if you're saved, you will not lose your salvation. That is one of the doctrines I am adamant on. I do not believe we can lose our salvation. I believe it's a gift God gives us. And as Paul says in Philippians, he who began a good work and you will be faithful to complete it. What I believe this is here is talking about the Lord disciplining. If we go to... Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, whoever he was, wrote, And ye hath forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when are rebuked by him. For the Lord loveth, whom, for whom the Lord loveth, he chastiseth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. You know, one of the proofs that we are loved by God as children of God is the fact that he will discipline us as a loving father. Because Paul went on to actually in that passage to say, what, what son does a father not forgive? The fact that he does discipline us and doesn't leave us to live however we want to live shows that he does love us. And there's another example I think might go well with this passage. It's in um, 1 Corinthians 5, 4 through 5. There were some people who were causing disturbances and stuff in the church. And Paul says, In the name of the Lord Jesus, when ye are gathered together, and with my spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, 
that the Spirit may be saved, that His Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. What Paul is saying here is there are some people that were causing problems, and according to church discipline, they would remove those people from the church so the people would not have fellowship with the church. And Paul writes that they would be del- deliver their flesh unto Satan for the destruction. What he means by that is cast out of fellowship from the church and not walking with God. A believer is going to make a lot of choices and really mess a lot of things up. And Paul is saying, you let them go and so they'll be disciplined by the Lord for the error of their ways in hopes that they would return to the church. And there have been many cases I've heard where the church does that and lets the person go. And eventually, over time, the person might make mistakes, the person might be disciplined various ways, but eventually he sees his need to return and he comes back and repents of his sin. Because I think that's similar to what we see here. Christ is not, or the Lord is here is not saying, cast a servant into hell. No believer is going to get cast into hell. What he's saying is he's saying, discipline him until his eyes are open and he will turn back. And the reason he does this is because as Christians, we bear Christ's name. And while God will not punish us for our sins, he will discipline us in order to conform us to be sanctified. There's a difference between, I think, punishment as in what Christ bore and discipline as in to train us, to make us more like Christ. Because we bear Christ's name, it's crucially important that we live like Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, he says, Be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and hath given himself for us as an offering and sacrifice to God, a sweet-smelling Savior. See, the way the world is going to see forgiveness is if they look to those who represent Christ. But if those who represent Christ are not forgiving, then the world's not going to know about Christ's forgiveness. And that's why God cannot put up with those who do not forgive. And as our verse says, Ephesians 4.32, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ's sake hath forgiven you, as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And so Jesus ends the parable. He says, Likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts do not forgive everyone his brother his trespass. If you remember the Lord's Prayer, part of the Lord's Prayer is that we plea, forgive us our debts even if we have been, as we have forgiven our debtors. When we're forgiving others, we're walking as Christ walked. And we're walking in fellowship with him. But when we don't, we're not walking as Christ walked, and that's when God would discipline us. So he's saying, if you want Christ to forgive you, then you likewise forgive. And so what does forgiveness look like? Can, do you, any of y'all have an example you can tell me of what forgiveness might look like? Y'all have an example? We saw a big one here. You could be playing with your sibling or your friend and they might do something you don't like. And do you grow bitter over that or do you forgive them? You forgive them. You know, forgiveness, it can be defined in several ways. One thing it's not, forgiveness is not acting as though something had never happened. You know, some cases it's good to remember what's happened, but not in a way that you grow bitter over that. For an example... At my work, I have a really bad boss, and I could tell you lots of stories about my boss. And I can choose to get angry and grow bitter at my boss and always treat him bad. But that's not right. However, I do need to remember that because he's a bad boss and he does make mistakes, I can't treat him as though he's my best buddy, or else things could go bad, especially at work, and customers could be treated wrong and so forth. So, you know, you need to have caution of dealing with people. 
And just because you forgive someone does not mean necessarily that they're going to forgive you. And so you need to keep in mind that this person may still be living in sin, but it's your job to continue to forgive them and to continue to treat them with respect and with honor and with love. And forgiveness also, it doesn't mean that you say to them something, you say, I forgive you, but then go on living however you feel like towards them. Forgiveness involves, as I've said before, kindness and love. You treat them with respect and honor. Um, And then what forgiveness is, forgiveness, this is a quote by John Piper, forgiveness is wanting the good, not the ruin of the one who wronged you, in spite of the wrong, and then acting for their good. So you have a heart of kindness towards them. You want what's best for them. An example of my boss, okay? I really don't like the guy. But I understand he's had some harder things, like his wife was in a car wreck right after she had had surgery, etc. I might not in my flesh want the good, but I can do as a believer. I can say, well, okay, I can pray for his best. I can pray that whatever happened in the car incident or when his wife is in the hospital, I can pray the best for him. So I can want the good for him, even though he might wrong me or other people. And then I can act for their good. How can I act for their good? Well, I can continue to work for him or do whatever I need to do. Or that may be with a sibling. Maybe your sibling did something wrong to you, and you want to do something rude to them in return. You want to take vengeance, but instead you think, how can I act for their good? Instead of going and knocking down their tower, maybe you could do the polar opposite. Maybe you could give them some of their blocks to help them make their tower better, even though they knock down yours. The point, though, I think we need to have is if we're going to forgive, we need to remember that we have been forgiven. Because if we forget that we've been forgiven, we forget we have a reason to forgive. But if we keep our eyes on Christ, understand all he's done for us and how much we didn't deserve what he did for us, we have a constant reminder in our head, this has been done for me. I bear Christ's name, so I have been called now to go and to forgive others. All right? All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your gracious and good forgiveness you've given us, Lord, and we don't deserve it. I pray that we would just keep you before our eyes. We would remember how much you've done for us. You know, it's not anything of our own selves, and then through your strength that you provide, I pray that we would forgive others, no matter what they've done against us whether they're believers or whether they're people outside the church. I just pray that we would continue to show your love towards others and that you would be honored in all. And I ask this in your name and for your glory. Amen.